are entering the Freedom Hut. Will radical leftists in the Democrat Party actually overthrow the old guard and take this country further into the depths of progressivism and socialism? That plus what's the latest from Florida, the shenanigans, the outrage, the accusations continues over those elections. And the trial of Chapo Guzman is going on in New York City, the biggest drug kingpin in the world. Let's talk to somebody down in Mexico City about what's really going on with the cartels coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here. Gotta say, this is one of these weeks... One of these rare weeks in the Trump era when we don't just have bombshell political story after bombshell story, you know, just all this, oh, my gosh, the world is ending. It's been, yeah, there's the election stuff. And we get to talk a bit about policy this week. Isn't that exciting? I'm going to discuss immigration, where the administration stands right now on that. Uh, We'll also discuss the uh, status of the Mexican drug cartels and the Chapo Guzman trial. Have a very interesting guest joining the show later on that one. But I want to get right to it because I think the single biggest issue right now that faces uh, the country, the, the number one issue is, I was going to say climate change just to mess with you guys, but I, it's, don't, worry, don't worry. The number one issue is the drift toward socialism. I think this is the single biggest concern we should have as a country because it really goes to the very foundation of the ideology that this country was founded on and our constitution and It is a version of collectivism that erodes our individual rights and what is most special about this country, our individual liberty and our devotion to that as a political entity, as a polity. The formidable Thomas Sowell, one of the uh, great minds on the right who the left has always pretended like did not exist, He said the following about socialism. The strongest argument for socialism is that it sounds good. The strongest argument against socialism is that it doesn't work. But those who live by words will always have a soft spot in their hearts for socialism because it sounds so good. He's absolutely right. Socialism as an ideology makes the people who are espousing it feel righteous they feel good about themselves they feel like they are kind and thoughtful and moral and that their ideas will mean that people are better off and healthier and happier unfortunately history shows that that's not true Uh, history shows that in the long run socialism is always doomed to failure and many times in the short run it can create tremendous misery And also, you look at some of these countries that they point to as successes when democratic socialism, they'll they'll point to some of the uh, countries in Northern Europe, for example. These are very small countries that were very wealthy before they tried socialism, uh, very well off before that on a relative basis, and had a tremendous amount of social cohesion, you know, had a basically 100% literacy rate before this. I mean, these were very, very wealthy societies that, as we see, 
also have adopted many free market and capitalist policies. They just have a large welfare state, but they're not socialists in the sense that they don't have the government in control of industry and the government making all the decisions about who will do what and where in the commercial sector. So they're not truly classic socialists. I know this is why they say they're democratic socialists. Okay, but we're heading in that direction now if we do not put a stop to this nonsense from the left. Uh, Ocasio-Cortez is now the youngest ever, will, will soon to be, she has not technically taken her seat, but she will be the youngest ever uh, member of Congress. And she is a something of a folk hero on the left. And I'm telling you right now, they want someone like Ocasio-Cortez to run for the presidency. They really do. They don't care that she doesn't have a background in politics. I'm not saying it will be her, but they want someone like her. They don't care that she doesn't know anything about policy or politics, really, in terms of what works. She speaks with the twang of the leftist. You know, she speaks in a way that is recognizable to the social justice warriors, and that's why they like her so much. I mean, the the verbiage she uses, the phraseology, the, the way that she expresses herself is straight out of the Wellesley faculty lounge. But it doesn't make for sound policy, and it certainly doesn't show any expertise on the issues. It's just all slogans. It's just all jumbles of words that, just like the strongest argument for socialism, sounds good. She led a sit-in today, which was very interesting, in the, uh, in the halls of Congress. And here is how that went exactly. Play 15. I'll let you all know how proud I am of each and every single one of you for putting yourselves and your bodies and, and everything on the line to make sure that we save our planet, our generation, and our future. And it's so incredibly important. Everyday people doing exactly what you all were doing too. It was standing with the Lakota Sioux, standing with allies, standing with indigenous tribes, because we don't have a choice. We do not have a choice. We have to get to 100% renewable energy in 10 years. There is no other option. We have to get to 100% renewable energy. That is a plan to catastrophically hurt our economy. I mean, that is nobody that I know who deals with markets, energy, the economy, makes the case that we're going to get to 100% renewable energy without massive economic dislocation and disruption and destruction. But there are all these people there, all assembled. There, This is where the mind of the left currently is. And, and I, I want to make my case to you now because we're going to be revisiting this over the next 18 months or so. Right now, her ideas are silly sounding to anybody who knows anything anybody who's serious about policy here's what she says and they say well she doesn't really have a grasp of the facts and she's uh, it's a lot of a lot of flash not a lot of substance here's the problem we are in an environment where one there's still a sense of trump momentum and two and perhaps even more importantly and tied into the first the economy's very strong right now. Unemployment's incredibly low. Stock market's had a rough couple of days, but overall, 
stock market's high, investment is high. There's a lot of reason to be favorable, not just to the Trump administration, but toward, you know, capitalism. If we have, and I do get this feeling that it is coming, can't tell you when, but it is going to happen. If we have a another serious economic downturn, perhaps not as bad as 2008, but, but in that vein, close to it, then all of a sudden the Ocasio-Cortez's, the Bernie Sanders-esque demagogues in American political life were saying, Let's just wipe out your student loans. They're going to wipe out the bank's debts again. They're going to bail people out from the bad mortgages. They're going to do all these other things. Let's wipe out a trillion dollars of student loan debt. And while we're at it, why don't we wipe out credit card debt for people that you know have less than $30,000 in total assets? And why don't we have a, a, a millionaire's tax on people who are making $200,000 a year? I mean, they're going to do all this stuff. And they don't have to convince the whole country. This is what's so important. They really just have to get 51% of the vote, roughly speaking. I mean, they really just have to get control of Congress and control of the White House. And even with the Trump movement that we've seen, it was a very close-fought battle in 2016 with Hillary, as we know. Yeah, the Electoral College, Trump won a lot more, but it was it was a tight election in the sense that the separation overall vote. Yeah, Hillary got more of the popular vote, but that's a silly dumb talking point because it's not about the popular vote. But if you look at a state by state breakdown, there were there were there were tight races in places like uh, Michigan and Wisconsin. There were tight races there. They just have to win power and then they can do these things. They don't have to win the argument. And that's true of socialists throughout history. They're not looking to convince you folks. They're not looking to bring you over into the light of the glories of redistributive economics and how everything will be fine and great and dandy. No, they're going to tell you, here's your government health care. Take it or leave it. And if you don't like it, that's on you. Maybe you shouldn't be reveling, assuming you're white and a lot of you listening are, but maybe you're reveling too much in your white privilege. There, there's not going to be any, any sympathy. There's not going to be any effort at and outreach. Look at what you have with Obama, the the furthest left United States senator before he ran for the presidency. There was no effort at winning winning over the other side. There was no bipartisan. Nothing. Never. Something that's conveniently left out of the narrative now. Obama was scorched earth. Elections have consequences. I won. You lost. Deal with it. That was his philosophy. And the press was holding him up for eight years as a genius god which neither of those things were true, but nonetheless. Now we see this elevation of Ocasio-Cortez, and I, I understand that what she says now to people who know better, who understand history and economics and are well-read, what she says is silly. That's why it's like, oh, I can sit here, I do this like a person, and everyone's doing the kind of Ocasio-Cortez impersonation. I, I get it. But she is not there to make a case to people who want to trade in facts and logic, she is there because the strongest argument for socialism is that it sounds good. She's just going to make it sound good. That's That might be all she has to do. Doesn't have to. How are you going to pay for this? Ah, whatever. We're a rich country. We'll figure it out. Rich people will pay. That's all Bernie Sanders ever says. Yeah. You, you want Swedish health care? You got to pay Swedish taxes. Does anyone ever bring that up? No, of course not. And by the way, I think that 
if you look at being sick in many cases in this country versus being sick in Sweden, our five-year cancer survival rates are actually uh, better than Europe's are by comparison, but that's one specific measure. People always compare also American health to European health. And look, here's the deal. We live a little harder here in America. I'm not afraid to say it, it's true. You know, we eat what we want. We drink what we want. We go hard at life. And that has health consequences. We are in general less healthy than some of our European counterparts, but that's a, a separate discussion. The left under Pelosi is going to emerge and I think perhaps even try to consume some of the old leadership. I think you will see Ocasio-Cortez. I think you will see Chuck Schumer pushed aside, if not officially, then in terms of the perception of who the leaders are. Remember this with Ocasio-Cortez back in the day about Pelosi and the future of the Democrat Party. This was just a couple of months ago. Place 16. She is she is the leader of of, no, no, she I mean, um, um, speaker or rather leader Pelosi, Mm -hmm. hopefully, um, you know, we'll see she's uh, she's the the current leader of the party. And I think that the party absolutely does have its leadership in the House. We have our leadership in in the Senate as well. Now, put aside the stumbles and stuff there. Notice how not really a big vote of confidence. They don't want to do business the Chuck Schumer way. The, the, The. Lesson that the progressive left, which is now the the id of the Democrat Party, the lesson they took away from 2016 was if you run a crony capitalist, uh, you know, Hillary like candidate or Hillary herself. You can you're going to lose because it's there's no purity to it. There's no honesty to it. And people are now savvy enough. The electorate is savvy enough to see through that Hillary is a kleptocrat. And she loves big business and she loves lining her pockets. She doesn't really care about poor people or minorities. That's all a, fa- a facade. That's all a front. So you need authenticity. And authenticity on the left means radicalism. So if you're going for authenticity and therefore radicalism, it doesn't matter how much policy experience the person has. It doesn't matter whether they actually know what the heck they're talking about. How do they sound? How do they appear? Do they get the masses riled up? And can they convince them that socialism is a better path for this country if we have a major economic downturn that coincides with the 2020 election cycle? The answer is that's a real threat. That's a real concern. And you are seeing some of those seeds right now in place. You're seeing this germinate slowly. I'm telling you, it's going to get worse. There will not be any tilt toward the center to beat Trump. They are going hard left. All right, team, I've got we're going to catch up on all the Florida recount stuff, too. We've we've got much, much more coming your way. An update on uh, uh, the whole Whitaker fiasco over at the Department of Justice and how the left is trying to say there's a constitutional crisis there. Jam packed show. Stay with me. Should the majority look into these issues related to President Trump that has come up? Police force. Yes. James Comey's firing. Yes. The travel ban. Yes. The family separation policy. Absolutely. Hurricane relief in Puerto Rico. Oh, it was absolutely inadequate. White House staff use of personal email. Oh, for sure. The president's business dealings abroad. Absolutely. And I want to see his tax return. (laughs) Of Of course. Of course she does. 
Producer Mike, did she leave anything off there? The need, need a Lowey or whatever? Did she leave anything off? No, I don't think so. Maybe I, like a home inspection or something? Yeah, or, uh, yeah, I think so. I don't know. You know? His, I, I, his I, dental records, I want to see a collection of Trump's toenail clippings. Yeah. I really need to know. Right. How many Diet Cokes does he drink a day? The American people have a right to know. They are going to investigate everything. And and what's amazing to me is that a normal person would say, wow, what a waste of time and resources. They're just investigating things as a form of harassment. There's not even the stuff that she's even talking about. What she said about Puerto Rico is false. Yeah. I've actually spoken to uh, political leadership in Puerto Rico, and they're like, no, we, we had a lot of stuff sent to us. It was just really hard to get it to the places we needed to get it. There was not a lack of response. It was just difficult to respond. So some of the things she said aren't even accurate, but the problem is... That, you notice that none of those things she said was anything for the American people? No. Nothing no. for us. Just, you know. By the way, she's going to investigate Space Force? They haven't even done anything yet. That was hilarious. She's going to... I mean, really, this is, a, this is a congresswoman who's telling the American people she's going to investigate Trump's tuna melt from last week. Who cares? I mean, hopefully he didn't use too much mayo because that can ruin an otherwise delicious tuna melt, as I will tell you. Uh, but no, it's th- this is what we're this is what we're in for, my friends. Th- this is uh, this is the whole plan. This is the plan to win over voters. And w- what troubles me is that for a lot of a lot of leftists, they think this is great. They they're like, oh yeah, sign me up for more of this. The more that they can get um, Trump trashed by members of Congress with any of these investigations, there are a lot of people that get happy about this. A lot of Democrats are going to say, you know what? This is this is great. This is what I want to see. Just uh, a, a constant, you know, water torture of the Trump administration. I'm just drip, drip, drip all the time. And it's just going to be so damaging. That's why I know the country's going hard left, folks. They got no, they've got nobody on the bench, nobody who is going to be able to leverage the old Obama or Hillary network effectively enough. So their whole thing is going to be to create a frenzy of left-wing activism and just try to take Trump down. I don't think it'll work, but that's going to be the plan. You're going to see some crazy stuff happening here. Um, we got to get into Florida. Speaking of crazy stuff, you like that segue? Buck is smooth as silk. Uh, we got to talk about what's going on in Florida and then some immigration discussion. This is like the best show. So maybe not the best show ever, but it's like very good. We'll be right back. Arizona and Florida, Democrats have to have the same message. Just make sure every single vote is counted. Every vote should be counted. We need to count the votes. Count all the votes. I want every vote counted. Every vote has to be counted. Every vote must be counted. Count every vote. Every vote ought to count. Let every vote be counted. Why do you have to file a lawsuit for that? Shouldn't every vote just get counted? At the end of the day, every single vote should count. Making sure every lawful vote is counted. Count every vote. Count all the valid votes. Wow, that's so weird, folks. You got a bunch of left-wing protesters in the Georgia Capitol building there yelling, count every vote. And then you had all these media figures saying the exact, exact same thing. Count every vote. Count this. It's almost like the talking point has gotten out there and they're all saying the same thing. Meanwhile, there is nobody who says don't count every vote. 
That doesn't exist. That, that position is non-existent. All they say is count every uh, vote that is legal. Legally cast vote. Count every vote that should, in fact, be counted. And that's what you get, for example, from uh, Rick Scott, who's down in Florida trying to trying to keep his lawfully won uh, Senate seat. Play clip three. My goal is that we follow the law. And what we've seen is, you know, in the supervisor election in Broward and Palm Beach County, both of them, the courts have said they haven't followed the law. Uh, we know Brenda uh, Snipes mixed um, illegal ballots with legal ballots. We know they've not let party officials in. The courts have said follow the law. So what I'm trying to do is get them to do what we, what we expect. The laws are set up there to prevent fraud, and for whatever reason, they don't want to do it. Oh, for whatever reason. We all know the reason. Oh, here's a fun fact, because I've been saying this. I've been saying this all week. Remember, I keep saying, tell me when the Republicans, uh, you know, tell me when the Republicans manage to turn an election around by by playing games and by extending things out. Tell me when when that happens. There have been only this is according to uh, Jim Garrity over at National Review. There have only been three recounts since 2000 where the result of a race has been changed. Republicans, Jim writes, with long memories, will notice that all three changed the same way. From a GOP win to a Democrat win. So since 2000, since they straight up tried to steal the floor, tried to steal the presidential election, that's what they did. That's why the Supreme Court had to slap them down. They were trying to steal that election. Three elections that have involved recounts have gone to Democrats. Zero for the Republicans. That seems significant to me, doesn't it? I knew that without even doing the initial Google search. You just know. You know. Democrats are the party of emotion and and self-righteousness, and therefore when they lose an election, there has to be something wrong with the election. It's not something that's wrong with their message. It has to be the people that, the mean, bad Republicans who don't want to count all the votes. Catherine Harris, by the way, speaking of the, of the 2000 election, she was Secretary of State in Florida during the 2000 election. Here's what she says about what's going on right now. Play 11. So what's going to happen is there are laws that must be followed. Uh, there are laws according to who is an eligible voter. So if someone is a felon in this election, their vote is not counted. If someone is an illegal alien, they're not allowed to determine Florida's future or the future of our nation, They're not, their vote will not be counted. If absentee ballot signature doesn't match up with the absentee ballot on record, they're not, they're allowed to, to count that vote. They have to follow the rule of law and the law in the state of Florida. Actually, our election laws are sufficient to handle this. It's just a matter of people are breaking them or not. Are people breaking the laws? That's what the fight is here. No one is trying, show me one instance of a Republican official who has been sanctioned for being caught trying to not count a vote that should be counted. Um, I am not familiar with any of them, with any of that happening. I'm not saying it's impossible, but certainly don't hear about it, do you? Meanwhile, Snipes in Broward County has already been sanctioned. She's already been uh, been put on notice that what she's doing 
is unacceptable. And everyone should just be prepared for this thing in Florida to get even up. What, it was Thursday? They've got to tell what the count is, and they're saying, oh, we're not going to be able to do it by Thursday. But this is go- it's going to get worse. It's going to, I'm telling you, it's going to get worse. You are going to see the ugliest side of the Democrat Party here. Um, and, and by the way, one of the, one of the ways this is going to get worse is that as soon as Democrats start, you know what's coming, as soon as Democrats start to lose on the issue of the law, the rule of law, the election regulations that are in place, whether it's Georgia, Florida, they've already won in Arizona. But as soon as that happens, you know, you know what then the rallying cry becomes for them? Racism. Hey, you can't actually count those ballots because they weren't marked properly. We don't know who the person was really trying to vote for. So those don't those don't count under the law, under the rules. Oh, yeah. Why are you so racist? That's what's that's what's coming. Susan uh, Butcher. Or I don't know if it's Boucher or Butcher, one or the other. She said uh, the following to the press about this whole issue. She's a Democrat, obviously. Play seven. She's the Palm Beach County Supervisor of Elections. So she's in the same position, in a sense, that Snipes is in in Broward County. Here's what Butcher says. Play 17. Um, you know, very unfortunate that some of the highest elected officials in our country are trying to disrupt our democracy because they don't like the demographics of our voters. I would wish that they would allow us to continue to count the ballots. We're just doing our job in accordance with law. How is that disrupting it's to, not disrupting me. It's disrupting in the public. I want you to clarify when you talk about I'm not going to clarify that demographics the demographics of our, of our county, they don't like them, and you know why. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Me a little bit oh, she sounds really non-political and uh, neutral and non-partisan, doesn't she? Oh, yeah, she sounds like somebody that you can really listen to and trust on this issue, huh? The demographics of our voters. Oh, I mean, look, you could say it's... Uh, you could say it's just that they're they're mostly Democrats, but I feel like she said demographics and not party affiliation. So not entirely clear to me if she just meant more, oh yeah, there are more minorities here. Uh, there are minorities in this county whose votes will be counted, and obviously Trump and, and the Republicans don't want that. But this is once again they may it's there there's at least a hint there that it's it's about it's about race. Uh there's a hint, and we'll get into more of that later on. But also this notion of trying to disrupt our democracy, they're behind. They're, they're the ones, this is a classic Democrat tactic, they're the ones who are breaking the law. They're the ones who are violating procedures. They're the ones who have been caught doing it. And the problem you see is Trump and the Republicans who are saying, hey, you can't do that. That's not allowed. You're supposed, you're supposed to tell people, for example, in Broward County, how many, how many ballots were cast? How many ballots do you even have? Because that establishes a baseline so that you can't just find an additional 1,000 here or 1,000 there that you need when you need them. It's a lot harder to commit fraud if you already establish how many votes because then there's already those votes that will be counted. But if you're going to try to stack the deck, you have to leave the ceiling open. So it's really important. It's not a minor thing that they missed that deadline. It's not a minor thing that they haven't reported these things accurately. As much as they want to pretend that it is. Um, Then you've got Bill Nelson, who, what a, he's such a creepy weirdo. I don't know how else to describe it. I think it's a pretty accurate way to describe the guy. Play 18. 
The legal proceedings are ongoing. This process is about one thing, making sure that every legal ballot is counted and protecting the right of every Floridian to participate in our democracy. And that is to have their ballot counted and to count as they intended it. Now, that all sounds fine, except why is it that, first of all, as they intended it, you know, this is where you get into these gray areas, folks. Oh, yeah? Or are we, you know, now we're having flashbacks and dimpled and hanging chads and all that stuff, but as they intended it, huh? Okay. I don't think this process for the Democrats is about one thing. I think it's about many things. I think it's about figuring out, well, first of all, it's about trying to trying to make this somehow come out with a Democrat, two Democrat victories, very important ones, Governor a governorship and a Senate seat. So that's those are priorities one and two. But then also looking at how they looking at how this plays out. What are the rules? How can they adjust them going forward? I, I think they're preparing for the inevitable what they think will be inevitable 2020 recount. And I, I, I do believe that that weighs in the minds of, of all involved here. Uh, but this idea that that counting every vote is somehow going to be uh, th- th- that's the panacea. Just count every vote. No, just just count every vote. Yeah. What if an illegal alien cast the vote? What if the vote is not? What if it's not clear on the ballot who the vote was cast for? What if it comes after the deadline? You know, th- these are all very real things. Not everybody in the country votes. Not everybody in the country can vote. We are a nation of laws. By the way, there's a really oh, and a, you know what? Matt Getz has been out there. Uh, you know, he's he's been going for it quite a bit here. He's I've seen I, I like uh, did I say Getz Gates, not Getz. Leo Getz, you guys remember him from uh, Die Hard? Whatever you want, Leo Getz. It's one of Joe Pesci's lesser but more memorable roles. No, Matt Gates, Representative Gates. Uh, he he's been he's been sounding the alarm on this stuff, and he's really been making the case. And we're, we're going to play some audio. I wish we could show you the video of it, um, but we'll play the audio for you coming back here, and, and just talk more about how this is all going to how this is going to play out, and and what's going to be coming up here with this election fight. Because this week that you're going to see, you know, who really wins in Florida. The answer is we don't know yet. Uh, I am not convinced that Democrats are going to let this thing go. Why can't we watch what's going on, man? We're told you can't be here, so you got to... Who told you that we can't watch what's going in and out of the truck? My supervisor. Who's your super? Yeah, I would love to see him. But until then, let's go. All right, all right. Well, you tell me why, why we can't know what's going in and out of that truck. And who? what's the name of your supervisor? We'll, we'll get all that taken care of. Do you, know his, do you know his or her name? The supervisor's name? Yeah. What's their name? We'll bring them out to you in a second. Do you know their name? Yes. We'll what is it? Will you tell it to me? Bring them to you in a second. So Representative uh, Gates there, he he comes out and uh, sure enough, he's, he's saying, look, you know, what's being loaded into these trucks in Broward County? I wish we should have called Matt and got him on the show. I just thought of this now. But you can tell the people that there's a maybe maybe, maybe those folks were just doing their jobs. They're just a little uncomfortable. They know they're on camera. And you know, I, I can't show you the video right now, but. You know, what's being loaded onto trucks in Broward County when it comes to these election offices? These should be very easy questions for people to answer, you think. It should be a very straightforward answer. And there's just a lack of, 
this goes to the, the lack of trust in the process because, as I've said, this is not conspiracy stuff when it comes to the violations that have already been established. Snipes has mixed in ballots with, with, with you know, illegally cast ballots already. She's already done that because they want to count more than less. That was her justification for it. Uh, they're viewing this in entirely different terms than, than what conservatives are. Democrats want whatever they can get in terms of votes for the Democrat Party. It, they don't care if they're illegal votes. They don't care if, it, you know, if they could have 10-year-olds voting for them, they'd go for it. This is why Democrats always want, they want to lower the voting age. They want to, you know, extend voting hours. I mean, their whole conception of this is let's expand the electorate as much as possible beyond even what is currently legal in the hopes that we can get to the number that we need. It's, it's essentially change the rules until you get the outcome you want and then say, oh, look, we obeyed the rules. We did things the way that uh, we had to under the circumstances to get the desired outcome. So this whole thing is very, it is uh, very troubling. Um, by the way, you know, one thing you should be prepared for, and you're going to hear it this week, but it's also just going to be more of a, of a steady drumbeat uh, from the left going into, well, now and all the way until 2020, constant accusations of racism are going to make a big comeback. I mean, every everything now is going to be racist. That's going to be, and you can say, Buck, that's it's so unfair and the left, the left you know, should know better. All that's true. Problem is that calling people racist works a lot of the time. And especially when you see how Corporate America and these pressure campaigns have uh, come together and, and had real consequences for people for not even doing anything that's particularly egregious or, you know, just they get on the wrong side of the left and all of a sudden they're in trouble. That's certainly true of allegations of racism. And you're going to hear it this week and you're already hearing some of it as we've played for you, or at least the, the beginnings of it, where people are saying that uh, the reason and what was it? Uh, I think Joy Reid yesterday, we had it. We played her audio from MSNBC. She said that the reason people are being so harsh on Snipes isn't that she's obviously incompetent and is not doing her job right. The reason they're being so harsh on her, they say, is racism. Al Sharpton, yep, still a, still a big, big dude in the Democrat Party, big, important, powerful figure among the Democrats. Remember, the party of morals, folks. The Tawana Brawley guy, Al Sharpton, party of morals. This is what he was saying earlier today about what the uh, Congress is going to be like going forward. Play 13. We want to hear from our senators and our Congress people on their vision. Then we want to visit them and, and, and have dialogue with them. And we want them to know by having these amount of people from these amount of states here, let's them know we're going to be in your face. We didn't just vote and go home. We didn't go vote and go back and eat turkey. We are ready for action because we are under an administration that has declared war on us, and we want to know whose side everybody's on. Am I right? Administration, Al Sharpton says, has declared war on everyone in the room at the National Action Network. I mean, I don't know what he means specifically by us. Get ready for a lot more of that kind of dangerous, overheated, and destructive rhetoric about racism. 
Team, I think you've heard me mention it, snippy.com. But, you know, you really should go back and take another look if you haven't yet started your account. Because if you've looked at snippy.com and left, there's a lot of new stuff going on there that you're going to love. Thousands of my listeners have joined snippy.com, expressing their opinions and stirring up lively conversations. Snippy's an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. Snippy not only encourages freedom of expression, but guarantees its users the ability to discuss topics freely without suppression from administrators, okay? Check into Snippy for any number of things, whatever topics that are top of mind for you. And you know what? You can start the thread just like I do. Go see for yourself. Snippy is a place where everyone is free to express their thoughts and share their opinions. Totally free to join, open to everyone. Join us at snippy.com and let your opinion matter. No shadow banning and no suppression of conservative thought ever. And exciting new features also available in the Apple App Store and now available for Android Snippy, your new alternative social media. He's basically trying to undermine at every turn. Florida. He weighed in on Arizona. He, he's weighed in on other races. He's undermining the legitimacy of elections. Where he and doesn't like the results. Where, where he doesn't like the results. And that is a hallmark of a failing democracy, of someone moving towards an authoritarian. They just won't give it up on the left, will they? Trump undermines elections because of Russian Facebook trolls. How is that supposed to work? How does that Kremlin conspiracy really add up? Oh, whatever, you know, Trump's a traitor. That's what they say. And now, in an act of breathtaking hubris and stupidity, I guess a combination thereof, we have people coming forward, prominent Democrats, talking heads on TV, who are all saying that it is Trump's fault that we have questions about the legitimacy of these, uh, of some of these elections that have not yet been decided for the 2018 midterms. And oh, by the way, they don't seem at all troubled by the fact that there is a, a, an astonishing, a completely astonishing level of incompetence. I mean, it, you have to be a complete buffoon to accept the buffoonery that has gone on in Florida. And what you see happening in Georgia is also just lawfare when it comes to elections. You know, if you if you aren't registered in the in the right county and you registered in the, and you voted in the wrong county, guess what? Your vote doesn't count. That's the rule. The rule is not well. We think your vote should count, so let's pretend because that's not how this works. But they want it to work that way. Um, Here's Jay Christian Adams talking about, well, I mean, there's there's so much going on. First of all, the fact that McSally lost to this kook cinema, I mean, just a, a totally a space cadet of a lady. I, I don't know what the heck people in Arizona are thinking. I mean, say what you will, even if you hate Trump, McSally is a very solid, strong candidate, you know, veteran, great background, got a golden retriever for heaven's sakes. I mean, you know, this is what you want, America. And yet they went with Cinema, who says joining the Taliban is no big deal. Well, we've got troops fighting the Taliban. I mean, just who who votes for this woman? Who who trashes her own state of Arizona, says it's a meth lab? Who votes for this woman? Well, apparently a lot of people did because she beat McSally, which is stunning in and of itself. But here's Jay Christian Adams on what's going on down in Florida, where you have uh, Brenda Snipes, 
who doesn't know what the heck is going on, apparently. Play five. What you're seeing is astonishing incompetence. We sued Brenda Snipes for incompetence in maintaining the voter rolls. And I got to know her very well. I got to know her employees. She was my witness on the stand at a federal court trial where she admitted non-citizens are on the voter rolls in Broward. They're voting. She doesn't turn them in when she finds out about them. She admitted there's felons illegally voting. She doesn't call the police when she finds out about them. There are people on her voter rolls who were born, they have birth dates when Grover Cleveland was president in Broward County. So I got to see close up how incredibly incompetent both Brenda Snipes is, as well as her entire staff. So this is not just her, it's the whole office. That stuff is, is stunning, what he's saying. And he's talking about court proceedings, so there's obviously got to be transcripts of it, and it's got to be on the record. There are legal aliens registered. She doesn't turn in illegal aliens who actually vote. Oh, I thought that never happens. Oh, it does happen, doesn't it? This is why Democrats are so testy about this issue. It's why they hate voter ID so much. They hate election integrity measures because ultimately they think that the country will be saved, i.e. that we'll be in a single party state when you have illegals made legal and or just voting because they can. Then it's all over. Forget forget this you know, 90,000 vote margin we had that allowed Trump to defeat Hillary in the last election in, in a few key states. Forget that. We're going to be millions of votes behind. And they know that, right? So for them, the illegal alien issue is really an existential political issue because they think that it is a secret weapon to end their fight against conservatism in America forever. That's not an exaggeration. That is really the long-term plan of the left here with illegal immigration. People can say, oh, Buck, but illegal immigrants in time, yeah, I mean, maybe. There's no evidence to support it, by the way, that people that come here as illegals within three generations or two generations become conservatives. There's no evidence to support that. So, I mean, I guess it's theoretically possible, but the country will already be ruined by the time that happens. The country will already be a collectivist, Democrat, socialist, you know, dystopia, at least from the perspective of people who appreciate rule of law, you know, what is the biggest difference between America, for example, and Mexico? I mean, and I've asked, I've asked the U.S. ambassador to Mexico, former U.S. ambassador to Mexico this, what's the biggest difference? Why is our society in terms of, you know, violence and crime and and the functions of government, why are we so different from Mexico and how our society functions? It's very simple. It's rule of law. That's what really distinguishes this country from, from Mexico. Here, there are laws. We all know what the laws are. We enforce the laws. I mean, I'm not saying this is perfect and all the time, but as a general rule. In Mexico, people don't care what the laws are, and the laws are not enforced. Why is it different there than here? Because of our political culture. That's it. That's it. So do we want to protect our political culture? Do we want to continue to have assimilation occurring in this country of legal immigrants coming in at a rate that allows them to be integrated into the fabric of American society and also to have their first act respecting our laws. I certainly I certainly hope that's what we're going to do, but increasingly the, the Democrats are just kicking open the floodgates because they think it benefits them and their power and their ideology in the long run and the short run. But what you're seeing here is just incredible. I mean, you know, Andy McCarthy also weighed in on what's going on in Florida. You know, Andy's that we maybe we'll have Andy join later this week. He's such a good dude. Andy's uh, so spot on here. Play clip 4. 
we have two different things going on here. We have the potential procedural irregularity that applies to this particular election, and then you have the overarching Democrat approach to government, which is to eviscerate the distinction between citizens and non-citizens. And we shouldn't be, we shouldn't think for a moment that if you can wrap your brain around the procedural irregularities, that their overarching agenda goes away. It doesn't. So, of course, they're going to take the position that none of the votes of people who might not properly be voting should not be counted, because in their minds, those people are just as legitimate to count as Americans voting are to count. And that's why, that's a big reason why our electoral system is in the mess that it's in. Count every vote, they say, folks. It's not count every legal vote, count every vote. Every vote, every person. People power for the Democrats, you see? That's the plan. That's what they're trying to do, or that's what they're trying to accomplish. And what you see is a media that is completely uncurious, incurious, does not care to get to the bottom of what the heck is really going on here. Somehow Trump is the problem. Broward can't get its stuff together. And and understand that the 2020 stakes here are obvious to anyone paying attention. Florida, just by by ballot measure, legalized uh, 4 million felons to vote in Florida. Now, as you may know, felons are a very reliable uh, Democrat voting constituency. I think they vote four to one in favor of Democrats over Republicans. So even if you have a pretty weak registration of convicted felons in Florida who want to vote, guess what? That could be the difference. The felon vote could be the difference as to who carries Florida in 2020, which could be the difference about who is the next president of the United States. That's how important Florida is. And once you add the governor's mansion into the mix, once you add another Senate seat into the mix, you start to see that this isn't just about the right now. This is about the way forward. And, you know, I also think that you can expect the Democrats are using this as a test run to see, you know, what can they legally and not so legally get away with when it comes to votes. You know, they, they view this, I'm telling you, they're viewing this in Florida as a dry run for the inevitable razor-thin 2020 election in Florida and, you know, what they can do, what they, what they will do in order to make sure that that critical state goes, goes blue. That's, that's what I think you can expect to, to happen here. Um, but, you know, they really should be, they should be asked the question, Democrats should be asked to answer the question, uh, do you think, do you think, Chuck Schumer, do you think, Nancy Pelosi, I mean, just go down the line, that illegal aliens should, I'm not asking if you think if it's legal, should illegal aliens in this country be able to vote? Should they? I'd be very curious to hear what their answer is. I think they'd go into some you know, some dodge that go into, well, it's not technically legal, but we'd really like to have everybody's voice counted and we're all human beings and we're all people and all this other stuff. Huh. Because if that's really your philosophy, I just want to point this out. Why can't people living 
in Mexico? Why can't people living in Canada just show up here and vote? America affects the whole world. You, you can make a very clear case that the American election has massive implications for the global economy, for foreign relations, all these things. And if people are just people, man, and the law of the United States doesn't matter, if our sovereignty doesn't matter, heck, why not just take mail-in ballots from you know, Morocco to Malaysia and back again? I mean, why not just let anybody who wants to vote in our election vote? We're all just people. You know, they're going to visit probably at some point, so maybe they want to say what goes on here. Plus, we affect them. You know, th- there's a, a complete lack of seriousness and intellectual rigor from Democrats, not just in the issue of illegal aliens, but also in the issue of what does it mean to have an election that is based in the rule of law? Voter ID has been upheld by the Supreme Court already as constitutional. You rarely will hear that, but it's true. Voter ID is constitutional. But they fight voter ID through procedural measures however they can all across the country because they refuse to accept that it's constitutional. Now, if you don't have voter ID, you don't have to register in a specific place. And there's, you know, no independent monitors that, plus you wouldn't even be able to do that at every polling station across the country. How could you ever even know if there was fraud? How could you ever know if, in fact, something has transpired that will alter the course of the country. I mean, people are cynical enough about politics because I think, well, they see how gross politicians are. Just imagine how they'll feel about it if they start to feel like their vote gets canceled out by people that are in the country illegally, by by people who are not filling out their ballots, by people who are not abiding by the same procedures and same rules as everybody else. You know, Democrats are playing with fire here, folks. They really are. But it's it really all comes down to Trump in 2020 in their mind. So they'll do anything. I was exhausted this morning, man. And because I'm not a socialist, I had to actually show up for work. But you know what I had to help me get through the day and get the day started right? A cup of just black, black rifle coffee. And I drink it black, by the way. I'm all about it. This is delicious premium roast-to-order coffee that you will absolutely love. If you have a K-cup at home, or if you're somebody that does your own ground uh, grinding, you can get the beans before they're ground, get them ground up, but have it all delivered to your door via Black Rifle. It's so easy. I get it delivered every month, and it's what I drink every day. Everyone listening to this should get in on this action too, all right? Nothing cures a bad attitude quite like starting your day with the most American freedom-loving coffee ever, Black Rifle Coffee. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck and receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Are you staying in the Senate or are you going to run for president? I've been thinking about it because, as we said earlier, what President Trump has been putting into this uh, country is so disturbing, so divisive, so dark that... Uh, I believe that I've been called to fight as hard as I possibly can to restore that moral integrity, that moral decency. That Um, sounds like a yes. So I'm thinking about it. Yeah, that's right. Gillibrand, folks. It's the Democrats' best and brightest uh, among them. Also, I I just find this, this construction fascinating. The party of Planned Parenthood, transgenderism for 12 year olds, and. You know, no, no, uh, no crash scenes in the in the town square. They're the party of morality now. Uh, the party of Bill Clinton and Hillary. Hello. 
They're the party of morality now. Oh, okay. Isn't that interesting? The people who wanted to elevate the Clintons back into the White House after eight years, that same political party is now out there lecturing us about morality. You cannot make this crap up. But uh, Kirsten Gillibrand is deeply unimpressive. Uh, every time she speaks on an issue, I think to myself, wow, this woman's a senator from New York? That's, what the heck is going on with my home state? I still, I refuse, even though I'm technically a resident of D.C., I refuse to accept that I'm, I'm still a New Yorker. I don't know. I, I'm not changing. I'm not changing, darn it. Uh, but but Gillibrand uh, is just, you know, symbolic, emblematic, not symbolic, wrong word, emblematic of what we see on the left in general, which is they're just saying all this stuff and, and, you know, they don't get really, they don't get challenged on it. You know, one thing that's happened is because the media environment is so toxic now, you really don't have many people that will go and try to even a- attempt to st- uh, talk to the other side. Um, but the, the Democrats are going to have so many of these, of these candidates who come forward, and they're all going to be saying the same, all going to be saying the same thing. Uh, all going to be saying the same thing. You know who's not going to be saying the same thing, actually, is my, my colleague from the Hill, Crystal Ball. Uh, the the wonderful and talented Crystal Ball. Uh, she is involved with uh, Ojeda, who just announced yesterday, we actually broke the story on the Hill, that he's running for president for the Democrats. He voted for Trump, by the way, in 2016. But he, he, is, uh, he has announced that he will, in fact, run. And at least there's a guy who is not going to be straight off the talking points from the right. So that'll be interesting. I mean, I don't think he's going to win, but it'll be interesting. Uh, And he'll be an interesting voice in the whole discussion. Um, But Michelle Obama weighed on the Democratic candidates. Here's what uh, Michelle had to say. Play one. What candidates do you see out there that inspire you and catch your eye? And did you did you hear recently, recently one of Hillary Clinton's former advisors Mm -hmm. speculating that she could run again? Do you think she should? I, you know, I I think at this point, everybody's qualified and everybody should run. So, you know, everyone's qualified and everyone should run. I might tap Sasha, she she, uh, she says. You know, okay, it's going to be kind of a battle royale of Democrats. As I've been telling you, though, do not be surprised if this goes to the far left. Be prepared for your fellow Americans to really disappoint you with their knowledge of history and their political judgment. When there is there's this lurch toward toward socialism in this country, I mean it's it's coming. I, I really think it's going to happen. I do not expect there to be a Biden esque mainstream Democrat candidate. I think that in their view, the only way to fight against Trump is to find the Democrat opposite of Trump, and that's going to be a just an, an open lefty Bernie Sanders heavy socialist instead of Bernie Sanders light. That didn't really make sense, but you know what I mean? More, more of a fighter than Bernie Sanders and a leftist. Who is that going to be? I can't tell you right now, but it's going to be something like that. It's, it's not going to be Gillibrand. It's not going to be Kamala Harris. Trump will, will crush those standard issue Democrat opponents. I mean, there's just no way. 
Bernie, I think, would be interesting. I don't know if Bernie has the, the fire in the belly to take on Trump, but at least the, uh, a Bernie contest, you got a guy who said, yeah, I'm a, so- I'm a socialist. It's going to be amazing. Socialism. Free stuff for everybody. Forget about Venezuela. But they got they got nobody who's waiting on the bench to take the reins. Uh, we got to talk immigration, though, folks. I got to I got to talk to you about some I got some tough love coming for the Trump administration on this issue in just a moment. The final shutdown. I wonder if I I don't want to get I don't want to get sued for like rights violations. I, I think I'm allowed to do a weird Al version. You know, the final shutdown. Because uh, we got a government shutdown looming, everybody. Oh, I know. Oh, the humanity. What will we do? Uh, the answer is nothing. The answer is we will continue to fund the government, and there'll be a lot of tough talk about, oh, we're going to stand for principle. We're going we're gonna to stop this shutdown from ha- blah, 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 blah. Nope. Nope. We are not. We are not, in fact, going to do that. Uh, it is much more likely that uh, we'll just have business as usual. I, I saw Paul Ryan today, who, you know, I think I've been a little, I've always said he's terrible in immigration, so you, you got to credit me with that. I, he's horrible on the issue of immigration, which is obviously very, very important. But I've been a little, well, I mean, he's, a nice, he's a nice guy, and so there's that, and that, that goes a long way with me. But the whole notion of Paul Ryan as a budget wonk, I don't know, I start to feel like that's, that's a lot of posturing. What did he do for the budget that was so great? What what legislation has Paul Ryan spearheaded that we all go, wow, thank heavens Paul Ryan was there for that one. I, I just I think he's been a little, you know, he's a, he's a little cozy with the establishment. I'm sure he's going to end up running like the Heritage Foundation or something pretty soon. I mean, he's a big think tank kind of guy, maybe AEI. I don't know, one of those places. Well, I like Heritage, so don't get me wrong. I'm just saying he's going to get one of those big think tank jobs. Um. But he's he's saying today that, oh, there's going to be some kind of a, you know, something for this shut. Remember, in December, there's supposed to be a government shutdown unless they do this. We, we keep going over this a continuing resolution. The government run out on, on uh, December 7th of money unless they can reach an agreement in the 12 legislative days before that deadline. And Trump has not ruled out. This is from The Washington Post today. Trump has not ruled out a shutdown. He said, quote, we need the money to build the wall, the whole wall, not pieces of it all over. So we will see. Uh, Mark Meadows, however, of the uh, House Freedom Caucus is, quote, not optimistic that they'll be able to follow through on this stuff. Let me tell you this, okay? There's there's not going to be a shutdown with Democrats about to take the House. It's just not it's just not going to happen. It, it didn't happen. The last time, it didn't happen the time before that. It's not going to happen this time. Republicans think that they lose in shutdown fights. All right? They think they lose. I mean, there was that very brief, that very brief shutdown, um, and the Democrats actually blinked on it, but they didn't really capitalize. And I think that when you look at this now, uh, you, you see that there's, there's just a lack of willingness on the Republican side to go to the mat for the wall. I really think that there are a lot of Republicans who believe that if they started, if they funded building a wall, uh, there would be a wipeout in 2020. I think a lot of Republican members of Congress actually believe that. Uh, meanwhile, Trump got elected promising a wall and had a Republican majority, and we did not, uh, we did not get what was promised, even though we had that majority. And you know, this is where I got to do a little tough love for the administration. 
you know, the, the budget and this looming faux shut, shutdown, it's not really going to shut down. They're not going to fight over it. They're just going to do a continuing resolution. I, I can almost guarantee it. Uh, but this is a reminder that right now we are uh, are losing the fight with the left over immigration. And I, I don't think you're hearing that enough. I don't think you're hearing that from enough people in enough places. Uh, border crossings of family units last month set a record 16,658 family units were caught entering between points of entry, which is an all-time record according to Customs and Border Patrol numbers. That is a, this increased 39%, by the way. All right, I mean, these numbers are going up big time. In October, 50,957 individuals were apprehended at the southern border between points of entry. Almost 10,000 apprehended at points of entry. The 60,745 totals a single highest one-month total of Trump's entire presidency. And, folks, what what this is telling us is that the illegal alien market, so to speak, has spoken here. They think that Trump is unserious about his promises. They think that with Jeff Sessions on the way out, and remember, this is a you know this is an important life and financial economic decision for people that are crossing the border. They, they pay attention to this stuff, everybody, and they have activist groups that are informing them what to say, where to go, how to do this. So they're getting help along the way too. But the the word is out. The word is out. The first year of Trump's presidency, there were there were far fewer illegal crossings than what we saw under the Obama presidency. But now we see that this is, in fact, business as usual. Business as usual. Um, this is what uh, over over at Conservative Review, very interesting piece from from Daniel. Horowitz on this. Here it's the following. The points of entry are a huge loophole. Let's not forget that the caravans always come to the points of entry anyway, and an increasing number of the more low-key migrants are surrendering themselves at the points of entry as well. The new rule is another giant invitation on a silver platter for arriving migrants to ask for asylum at the legal points of entry, Well, they will be processed and released in somewhat slower motion under the same standards that have been placed all along, which result in 90% of those asking for asylum being allowed to enter, despite the fact that only 10% will ultimately be given asylum by a judge. This is what I have been saying all along. They can, anybody now who is willing to go through a short detainment and knows what to say at our southern border and is willing to lie, can get into the United States pretty much free and clear. And there's no interior enforcement they have to worry about. They know that DACA is looming just over the horizon. I think the Democrats believe that they're going to be able to get a compromise measure on DACA from this administration. I I think that whether that's true or not, I think there are many in the administration. I certainly think Nancy Pelosi is going to push for that. And, you know, my friends, this is not what we were promised. This is not what's supposed to be happening here. The Republican Party is letting us down and yes this is on trump's watch trump 
I give him a lot of credit for when he follows through, when he does good things. I love it when he Trump slaps Acosta and all the rest of them, but this is not what was said was going to happen. This was not followed through on. And this is a big problem because, as I've been telling you, I think that while 2020 Trump in a normal universe could win, we have some very troubling far-left radical trends in this country right now. And if you were to see a backlash to Trump, and especially if it coincided with a massive economic downturn, and all of a sudden the left was truly emboldened to just pursue their wackiest dreams, then I do think there's the possibility of a major Democrat, uh, the actual blue wave, right? The actual blue wave, the blue tsunami can hit just like it happened in 2008 with Obama. And the first thing that they will do this time around, I assure you, the first thing Democrats will do when they have the opportunity is legalize all illegal aliens in this country, make it irreversible. And, oh, by the way, that's also when people will say, because all of a sudden you'll have all these people coming forward, oh, the number was 20 million. Wow, that Buck Sexton guy wasn't such a crazy after all. Because the number's not 11 million, my friends. Explain to me how the number's 11 million when, as I just told you, according to Customs and Border Patrol, you had, let me just make sure I'm giving you the right number, 16,000 plus family units caught caught between points of entry. What percentage do you think are getting caught? Less than half? Family units are at least two people, in some cases three, four people. You got 50, 60, 70,000 people that are getting caught between points of entry at the border crossing illegally last month. I can do math. You can do math. If we're getting 50 or 60,000 people getting caught crossing illegally, that means there's got to be that number that are actually crossing successfully illegally, probably more than that. That's 100,000 a month. Do the math on one year. You think it really stays at 11? 11 million? I don't think so. We are losing, my friends, on immigration. Someone needs to ring the alarm bell. Trump has not gotten it done on this yet, and we need to stay on it. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. I wanted to challenge you on, on one of the statements that you made in the tail end of the campaign uh, in, in the midterms. That here, this, here we go. That, well, if Let's you don't go. mind, Let's Mr. Go. President, Come on. that this caravan was an invasion. As you know, yeah, I, Mr. President, I consider it to be an invasion. As you know, Mr. President, the caravan was not an invasion. It's a, it's a, a group of migrants moving up from Central America towards the border with the U.S. Thank you for telling and me that. I why, why, did you, why did you characterize it as such? Uh, because I consider it an invasion. You and I have a difference of opinion. But do you think that you demonized immigrants in not this election no, to try to want keep... Them, I want them to come into the country, but they have to come in legally. You know, they have to come in, Jim, through a process. I want it to be a process. And I want people to come in, and we need right. the people. Your you know, campaign... Wait, your campaign... Wait, wait. You know why we need the people, don't you? Because we have hundreds of companies moving in. We need the people. Right. But your campaign had an ad showing migrants climbing over walls and well, so on. Well, that's true. It pour, it, but they it, weren't actors. They're not going to be doing they that. They weren't actors. Well, no, it's true. Do you think they were actors? They weren't actors. They didn't come from Hollywood. Right. These, were, these were people. This was an actual, you know, it happened a few days ago. And uh, they're hundreds of miles away, though. They're hundreds and hundreds of miles away. That's not an invasion. Honestly, Uh, I think you should let me run the country. You run CNN. And if you did it well, your ratings would be much better. If I I may ask one other question, Mr. President, if I may may ask one other question. All right. So you guys remember that, right? I just want to. That's, you know, Trump slap. 
I, I enjoyed it, of course. That was Jim Acosta trying to Acosta it up, as he usually does in the, uh, in the White House or when he's at a press, uh, press conference or a briefing with the president, whatever. And it turns out that CNN's not letting this go. CNN and reporter Jim Acosta filed a lawsuit today claiming, quote, that the White House violated his constitutional rights by suspending his press access following an incident where Acosta would not relinquish the microphone during a press conference. The White House's characterization of the events of last Wednesday have been ripped apart as an exaggeration, complete with altered video, etc., etc., but the account put forth in CNN's complaint is even more detached from reality. This is from Law and Crime. This is a piece by Ron Blitzer. Uh, so here's here's what CNN in this complaint says. Quote, Acosta asked a question about one of President Trump's statements during the midterm campaign, namely whether a caravan making its way to the United States from Central America constitutes an invasion of the country, a significant feature of the president's messaging during the just-ended campaign. This is a lie, folks. Acosta didn't really ask a question. Acosta, rather, didn't ask a question uh, at all. He said, quote, I want to challenge you on one of the statements you made in the tail end of the campaign in the midterms. That's right, folks. This is a journalist standing up who who thinks that his press pass is the right to get a televised debate with the president whenever he wants it. Now, you can call me crazy, but I'm pretty sure that that is not what the press pass entitles him to. I'm, I'm pretty sure that Acosta... He's not supposed to be able to stand up and drown out any other reporters in the room, hog the ball, so to speak. And more importantly, I got to tell you something. He does not have a constitutional right to a daily White House access pass. What is that? Think about this for a moment. Jim Acosta, because he's so important and famous, according to CNN, has to be able to go to what there's there's a ton of other people in the not just in the press but in cnn who have hard passes so they can't revoke a hard pass that's cnn's that's cnn's legal position on this it's unconstitutional by the way the aclu weighed into but everybody they're just it's always oh the press is under assault the press is under assault this press is specifically trying to destroy the president and they're destroying the idea that the constitution is actually something that has meaning that isn't just whatever you want it to be at any given time that's what they seem to think the Constitution is. And that is not the Constitution. The Constitution is words that have meaning. It's not just what it's not just something I don't like, therefore it's unconstitutional. I mean, it just goes on and on. This was this was a guy who was acting poorly, and they are disciplining him in a very mild fashion. I mean, I just want to know. Is it is it the case now? Is it the standard that if you do anything in the White House uh, press room that is completely out of bounds. Let's say you started, what, what if you told the president to go blank himself? I know it's a horrifying thought, but I'm, but I'm just saying, what if a reporter stood up and said, hey, Mr. President, you know, you, you, your mother wears combat boots or whatever, you know, says something stupid, you know, hey, go, go blank yourself. And, uh, you know, let, let's say that somebody said something to the president and... It's, you know, it's completely, it's wrong, it's nasty, and it's not within the the bounds of journalistic standards or integrity at all. Is that person not allowed to be told, okay, you you have to leave? 
What if somebody stands up and refuses to, to stop shouting? If you had somebody who decides to go code pink in the West Wing, do they have a right to not just stay there and continue to scream and yell, but to continue to have a, a they call it a hard pass, which means that you can have daily access to the White House whenever you want. You can be in the White House whenever you want. Is that really, you know, is that the new standard? I, I just want to know where CNN thinks its legal boundaries are here. You know, what is CNN allowed to do and not allowed to do? Uh, and, and the answer is they just want to make this a big moment for Acosta, and that's, and that's what they're going to do. But this is just why there's no, there's no honest discussion here about what this guy has done on the left and wh- what a clown show he is making of journalism. I mean, it really is appalling. And he's make, he is making the case for Trump. And look, do I think Trump likes it? Absolutely Trump likes getting into it with this guy. Because he proves the lie that CNN is not an objective news source, that it is the it is the televised hashtag resistance. It is the the TV version of the elite revolt against Trump. That's what CNN has become, even more so than MSNBC. And they should just own it and be honest about it and stop trying to hide behind these phony baloney. Oh, the First Amendment charges. The First Amendment's fine entirety of the press corps against Trump, okay? The First Amendment's just fine. How would you feel if you knew somebody was looking over your shoulder and reading everything that you were doing on a computer all day for a month? How about a day? Guess what? Third parties, social media apps, all kinds of different online monitoring occurs whether you realize it or not, and that's not even including hackers. These are people who can track you, who can find out what you're doing online, who can download your information, who can sell it to other people. You don't want that. Take your privacy back like I have by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. Less than 7 bucks a month, and you can take back your online privacy. Do it today. Call to protect your online activity and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck for three months free with a one-year package, expressvpn.com slash buck. You don't have confidence in him as America's no, top I enforcement don't. officer. Uh, no, I don't. And I don't just take it from me. There's bipartisan uh, editorializing about this, that, that he should never have been appointed and that, uh, it, that it, it, it does violence to the Constitution and the vision of our founders to appoint such a person in such a manner uh, to be the chief legal officer in our country. And that's bipartisan. I'll go further. The, the, his appointment is simply part of an attack on the investigation by Robert Mueller, the special counsel. It's part of a pattern of interference by the president, part of a pattern of obstruction of that, uh, attempt of obstruction of that investigation. Uh, we Democrats, House and Senate, uh, will uh, attempt to add to must-pass legislation, in this case the spending bill, mm-hmm. legislation that would prevent Mr. Whitaker from interfering uh, with the Mueller investigation. Uh, there's no reason we shouldn't add this and avoid a constitutional crisis. These imbeciles, these Democrats, powerful Democrats all that you're hearing from there, are leaping to conclusions without any evidence yet at all. And they're saying, I mean, this is the greatest part, they're saying that they think that they're going to avoid a constitutional crisis by creating 
law or regulation or whatever you think it'll be, some kind of resolution that will directly affect the ability of the executive branch, which is what the DOJ is, to do its job. You want to talk about a constitutional crisis, the Congress does not get to pass a law to tell the president how to do something that the president is empowered by the Constitution to do, right? So, so for example, Congress can't pass a law that says the president has no has no right to pardon somebody. I mean, Congress can pass that law, but it would it would be constitutionally invalid. Just like the Congress can't pass a law that at least that I'm aware of that would say what that the Department of Justice official overseeing an investigation is not allowed to oversee the investigation. This is all hot air. This is all bogus. What, what do they even think that they are saying? But as you know, this is twofold. One, it, they just have to make noise. They have to make noise around Whitaker and about Whitaker because this is what their base wants. Notice how they went very quiet on this for a while. Because to win those you know, independent voters in Florida and Arizona, to win people over who were still thinking about who are they going to vote for, the Democrats had to stop being Democrats, essentially, for a little bit. They, they had to pretend that they were a little, a little less crazy, right? a little less nutso. Okay, so with that in mind now, we look at what is at the, at the core of this. Uh, what, what is the core of their objection? Uh, and that is that Whitaker is not, uh, has, you know, there's this whole argument over advice and consent to the Senate. Whitaker was uh, had to receive advice and consent of the Senate when he was a U.S. attorney, and I don't even remember what the state was. Doesn't it's out in the Midwest? Doesn't really matter. Uh, but he hasn't received it in his role, from what I understand, as acting Attorney General. But this is a complicated legal question because no one's saying that he is the Attorney General. They are merely saying that until they can get somebody else through Senate procedure, he is the Attorney General for now. That's it. He is acting. He's the temporary attorney general. And and this now goes to, well, does the president have the right to have somebody in an acting role that has not been through the advice and consent procedure of the Senate, which is prescribed for uh, for cabinet posts like this? That's so as you can see, this is not a, it's not a straightforward thing. There, there's a there's a good faith argument to be made, or at least there is an argument to be made on on both sides of this. Uh, but. The other part of this is that the Democrats don't get to choose for the president. This is an executive branch agency. Congress doesn't get to say you can only have this person or, or here's the person you put in charge of that agency. That's not how this works. So their complaint is that it shouldn't be Whitaker. It should be Rosenstein. But Trump is the head of the executive branch. And Trump gets to appoint the attorney general and get the advice and consent of the Senate. So, you know, you can see there's a bunch of moving pieces here, but they're skipping right past all that and just saying that this is uh, unconstitutional and it'll force a constitutional crisis. And all. Meanwhile, this is all based, I mean, all their objections are based on this idea that Trump, uh, that Trump appointed somebody who is in his pocket and will shut down the Mueller probe, and that's just crazy. He's not going to shut down the Mueller probe. The Mueller probe is winding down, folks, running out of steam. People keep saying there's going to be more indictments. Yeah, maybe they'll indict somebody who writes for Infowars for conspiracy or something. Who cares? Who cares? What a what a ridiculous joke, although it's a very unfunny one, this whole thing has become. 
but they are impugning Whitaker's integrity. Because we see what they did to someone like Kavanaugh, right? So that, that was a very important lesson in many ways, because they'll do that to anyone and everyone. We see what they're doing with Whitaker, which is to suggest that he's a crony, you can't trust him, he's, uh, you know, he, he's going to do whatever Trump wants him to do. Meanwhile, why is Rosenstein, who should have recused himself and anybody who knows the regulations and ethics laws around recusal, and is honest, agrees with that. Rosenstein absolutely should have recused himself. Okay, he cannot oversee an investigation that is directly looking at something that implicates action that he took, as in the firing of James Comey. He wrote the letter that was used by the executive branch, by the president, to fire James Comey. It was Rosenstein's letter. Rosenstein, of course, though, is an Obama appointee and has shown some hostility to Trump and people who defend Trump in uh, this whole Russia collusion fiasco. And so as a result of that, they want Rosenstein in this role. Rosenstein obviously hasn't interfered with Mueller, and, but, but they've concocted this whole story. And I sit here and I say to myself, first of all, you know, why don't they just focus on who the acting or who the actual attorney general is going to be instead of the acting attorney general? But they view this as, oh, the timing is meant to so this is meant to subvert the uh, the actual investigation. I just think that that's honestly just a, a whole bunch of crap. It really is. It's a whole bunch of garbage. It's not really based on on anything um, other than their desire their desire to establish before anything has even happened that you can't trust this guy Whitaker. This nightmare that the Democrats have put the country through on Russia collusion is something that we should all never forget. Uh, we always need to remember what they were willing to do in this, in this case, uh, what they have been willing to do because they don't like the president. Reminds me, by the way, of this, uh, this piece in the Washington Examiner, this poll, because and, and, I think the Russia collusion thing is really at the heart of this. I mean, they've really tried to convince people that President Trump is a traitor. I mean, that's a word that people in the media, prominent people and former government officials have used. I mean, they will throw around the term traitor. But here's what you have in the examiner. Six, uh, 72%, 72% according to this Zogby poll, say that the media is more divisive than the president. 72% said, quote, the mainstream media has played a major role in dividing Americans along racial, gender, and political lines. This has led to a spread of hate and misunderstanding among some people. Only two-thirds said the same thing about Trump. Uh, so seven in ten people, men and women, agree the media is dividing the nation. Uh, only 52% of the press says That's because the hardcore left loves what the press is doing. The press is an opposition party. Not, an, not opposition as in what a free press is supposed to do. The press is an ideological left-wing, anti-conservative opposition to the Republican Party and to President Trump. That is the role that they fill. I know this. I've been inside. I've been behind the scenes. I, I know these people. I understand how they think. Having a discussion today, actually, with some colleagues of mine just about how whenever somebody lets slip that who's a, a, quote, journo, who is supposed to be objective, whenever they let slip how partisan they are when they just mutter something about, you know, blank Trump this or blank Trump that, 
You know, you're like, oh, yeah, it's another Democrat. You, you never have somebody come out and drop some bomb where you say, oh, wow, that person's actually a conservative. What a shock. Uh, but this whole Russia collusion thing, the notion that this is heading to a this is heading to a constitutional crisis. This is all being manufactured by the media. And it's in part for ratings, but it's also because of their deep ideologically driven hatred of the president. And they're really hoping that Russia collusion is still going to cost Trump the presidency, essentially, at least for his second term. They have not given up on this yet. And so that means they're really willing to not just exaggerate, but to just fabricate, to lie on this issue. You know what's not smart? Just sort of hoping that you're going to get the right resumes that magically flow into your inbox by posting on some random job site. You know what's also not smart? Wasting a lot of time by sifting through terrible applications that aren't even for the right industry. You know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S., and this rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. My listeners can try ZipRecruiter right now for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Again, ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Incredibly tight security for one of the highest profile criminal drug trials in the country's history. Chapo Guzman is currently in New York City. He is being shuttled back and forth with the highest of high security around him to the federal courthouse in downtown Manhattan. They have to shut down the Brooklyn Bridge each day, twice a day to take him across. Every juror, every person involved in this trial has a tremendous amount of security. Uh, and this is because Guzman was the single biggest and most powerful drug trafficker in the world until he was captured. At least that's the reporting we're getting from the various outlets that are covering this one. I, I want to bring in somebody who can shed some light on what it was really like in Mexico under Guzman's reign of terror and also what's going on now with the Sinaloa cartel that he used to run. We've got Yon Grillo calling us from the streets of Mexico right now. Uh, Yon is a journalist. He's also the author of the very excellent book, El Narcos and Gangster Warlords. He's been covering Mexico and the cartels for decades now. Yon, thanks for making the time. Well, it's good to be here. So tell me about, just, just for the folks listening, what do they need to know about this guy who's currently facing life sentence on 17 federal charges for essentially being a massive drug kingpin, Chapo Guzman? Well, he, I, I've been to his home village up in the mountains of a state called Chinaloa. Um, and he comes from yeah, a community high up in the mountains. Uh, I guess maybe it's a bit like people living in the very high Appalachians in the United States, people quite cut off. And uh, this community has been involved in drug trafficking for a century, right back since Washington first made these drugs uh, illegal back in 1914. People from Sinaloa were trafficking drugs, and he rose up to become the most infamous trafficker in Mexico. I think uh, he's uh, alongside Pablo Escobar and Al Capone as some of the most uh, infamous villains or infamous traffickers of all time. Now, he was really made super famous by his two escapes from both of Mexico's 
highest security prisons. And, and that really put him into the stratosphere. Um, but as well as that, I mean, I've been to many murder scenes around Mexico, uh, sadly, seen many bodies mutilated, and, and I've seen notes by these bodies, sometimes with the name El Chapo written. Uh, and I don't think he wrote it personally, but people in his name have been carrying out these murders. And we're talking about hundreds, maybe thousands of murders ordered by Chapo, which means shorty, right? Or that's also what that's that's the uh, the nickname that he has uh, that, that El Chapo ordered himself over the years. Well, that, that's very hard to know. In the case in the United States, he's not on trial for murder because the murders happened here in Mexico. Um, he's on trial for conspiracy to traffic drugs in a various count and being the head of a, cons- a criminal conspiracy. Now, the prosecutors brought in 33 different murders, and they want to tie them to make the conspiracy case stronger. And the judge said, well, don't bring in, you're bringing in too many murders. This is not a murder case, it's a drug case. Now, in, you know, in Mexico, the, the killing has been devastating. Over the last 10 years, an estimate has been more than 119,000 murders. Um, which are linked to drug cartels fighting each other or the security forces fighting the drug cartels. So 119,000, that's more than many regular war zones. Now, it's very, very, you know, very hard to tell exactly who ordered those and, and how these cartels ordered those. The most uh, violent city for a time was Sinaloa Juarez. Just in that city, there were 9,000 murders over four years. And the Sinaloa cartel of Chapel Man was fighting there. But, you know, it's hard to know. And actually, in Mexico... He kind of has a reputation as being not one of the worst, most violent traffickers. There's other traffickers who have a more violent reputation, and he, in a sense, has um, sad to say, a kind of Robin Hood reputation in some of his communities that kind of arriving in these poor areas, handing out um, dollar bills or peso bills, uh, building roads and hospitals and so forth. So he's very much like, like Pablo Escobar in that sense, and that there's this other mythology, this local mythology that was built around him, and that obviously is also an image that he cultivated for reasons of having popular support. I mean, it's almost like he's, if you're running a narco insurgency, the insurgents need some of the locals to actually be willing to at least turn a blind eye to what they're doing. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that, that idea of, of buying you know, support, which they do, you know, it's obviously a, you know, not always just about helping people. It's about buying people so they don't inform on you, uh, by buying, buying their loyalty. And in these communities, there are some people who, um, who are against the drug traffickers now, especially with the level of violence they've been. I mean, you can talk to mothers whose sons have been dragged away by masked men with AK-47. So some of this, this legend of El Chapo, and I think it really is a legendary status he has. Um, now, a, lot of, a lot of that spread around by songs as well. There's hundreds and hundreds of songs about El Chapo. And even when he escaped from prison the, the second time, people were writing songs, composing songs within hours and putting these videos, these songs up. So you know, this kind of legend of uh, Chapo has its own energy, even what he creates himself. It's somehow a kind of mythology among people about the level of this guy. Who runs, do we know, who runs the Sinaloa cartel right now? And, and how is it in terms of its its power and, and the, the influence that it has on the current narco, narco wars going on in Mexico? 
So right after the eve of Donald Trump being inaugurated as president, um, he was, he was flown up in a plane. Uh, right after that happened, a turf war broke out in the Nile Cartel. And on one side, you had a couple of sons of El Chapo, known as the Chapitos. And on the other side, you had a former prison guard who had helped Chapo escape and become a lieutenant and build him up in his organization. And these two sides were fighting. There were these big shootouts all over the place. Now, it seems that the Chapitos, the sons of El Chapo, won and consolidated their control of the cartel and are now running the cartel. But then you have another cartel called the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, which is even more threatening and violent. Now, this is the cartel, which is a very paramilitary type organization. Some of their guys once shot down a military helicopter with an RPG-7. They had a couple of factories making their own uh, AR-15 rifles or you know, assembling their own AR-15 rifles. Um, and, and that cartel is fighting uh, the Sinaloa uh, cartel in many places and might be becoming the most dominant cartel in Mexico. That's amazing stuff. Well, Yon, really appreciate you calling from the streets of Mexico. Yon Grillo, by the way, guys, if you are interested in the cartels, highly recommend you pick up Yon's book, El Narco, which you can get on Amazon, and also Gangster Warlords. I have read both of them, which is how I track Yon down. And uh, now he's he's our man down in Mexico City. Yon, thank you so much for calling in. Always, always great to be here. It was amazing. I saw this photo of what was a, a high school graduation. And in the uh, graduation photo, this is in Wisconsin. It was out uh, earlier today. And NBC News was reporting on this, that, a, that the boys were giving a Nazi salute. Um, and this was one of these things where it was, I could just tell that the outrage machinery of the left was going to be... Uh, you know, up in in full force, and this is the rise of white nationalism. This is Wisconsin school, all boys, and they look pretty much to be uh, mostly, if not all, white in this photo. And I knew that this was going to become a big issue, but there's a thing about it that maybe is going to slow it down a little bit. Uh, the Associated Press picked this up. Turns out the photographer who took the photo, so he's not implicated in, in the hand gesture, he says... Uh, that he asked the students to wave goodbye to their parents. Um, and he said that it was a totally, he said it was an innocent photo. He quote, he says he asked the boys to give him a high five for the photo, which was taken uh, north northwest of Milwaukee. And he says to anyone who was hurt, I sincerely apologize. And police are investigating the photo. I mean, I look at this and, you know, I'm not going to lie. I mean, there there's some... There are some things in this photo, there's some hand gestures that really do look like they're waving. I mean, I'm looking at it right now as I talk to you. And there are others where it looks like maybe some of the kids thought it would be funny themselves to, and maybe that caught on. You know, it's not, I'm not going to say that this isn't, this isn't like the white nationalist hand gesture controversy in, uh, which was a non-controversy. But they remember, they tried to make a, I believe, half Mexican, half Jewish advisor to Brett Kavanaugh, a white nationalist, because she stretched her arm at one point after hours and hours of hearings. Remember that? Yeah, that's right. That's your that's your your so so serious and ethical news media at work. Uh, But this is just one of these stories, again, where you can tell it's a minor incident, but now it's going to be made into a major national incident. 
and the police are involved, and that's the part of it that I really have a question about. Why would the police be involved? Uh, making a gesture that's that's racist is not in and of itself a crime. This seems to be lost on people now. I mean, this people, I think, really do have the notion that if you say something that is some kind of an ethnic slur or that you can go to prison, and that's still not the law, though it's getting closer and closer to being the law. Anyway, I, you can check out this photo for yourself. You'll see what I mean. There's some hands that look, you know, looks like maybe these kids were, but there are others where the kids, the elbows are bent and they're waving. So, you know, I, you know, the photographer says it's wasn't intended as anything other than just giving a high five and a wave. So, anyway. It made me think, though, because today I saw this this little announcement. It's not going to get much attention, but I think it's really interesting that there is an effort underway to create a a journal of... This is what it's going to be called, the Journal of Controversial Ideas. This is from the Chronicle of Higher Education, published uh, just a a day or two ago. So they are looking specifically at creating an anonymously... Well, or, or, you know, pseudonym-based peer-reviewed academic journal to tackle the most controversial ideas. Essentially, as long as it is intellectually rigorous, nothing will be taboo, and the editors will stand behind publishing whatever it is that they publish. I think this is actually going to be, if it gets off the ground, really interesting, and could turn into kind of a big deal. Because this is what we don't have anymore. We don't have the good faith in political debate and argument to allow people to pursue controversial ideas, controversial theses to their conclusion. We have left-wing doctrine and dogma, and you deviate from that at your peril. But some of the things that they may address here, things like a defense of colonialism. Whoa, hold on a second. Colonialism might have actually done at least some very good things for the societies that that was a serious paper that was written and caused a huge controversy. Transracialism. Oh, you can change your genitalia, but you can't change your skin color, according to the left. Why? Uh, And there's a whole bunch of other things that you could obviously put in here. But one thing I think is so interesting about this concept is that it's needed when you would think that academia would already be doing this, the fact that you even need a, quote, journal of controversial ideas tells you where we are in America right now. The intellectual life of America is stunted right now uh, because of the left, because of the petty, petty totalitarians of the progressive left. And then the other part of it is that, well, what controversies are going to really fit within this rubric? Things like free speech, Basic concepts in this country are increasingly controversial. So what's supposed to be a journal of the most controversial ideas, I would not be surprised if we were to find out it's actually just a journal of some real ideas with the occasional controversial idea thrown in. Tells us where we are as a country right now, doesn't it? Of more coming up, team. Stay with me. Uh, Roll call's next. Ain't no party like a team buck party. Because a team buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. 
All right, let's get to it with roll call. Keith, first out of the gate here. Jimmy. Man, very few people call me Jimmy. You're 99.83% correct. But yesterday you were talking about the World War I armistice. Also, you threw out that we've never fought the Russians. U.S. soldiers fought Bolsheviks three months after the 1918 armistice and lost. I know it's picking nits, but we almost never get the chance to with you with the other 0.17% of the facts that you get wrong. Keith. Well, Keith, you're, you're correct. Savor the flavor because it's not going to happen again. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you so much. You're, you're uh, bringing up a very interesting point there. Harkening back to the America North Russia Expeditionary Force, uh, which was uh, 5,000 or so U.S. troops that were sent as part of an allied intervention force into the uh, into the Russian Civil War in 1918. And obviously, the side that we backed lost, so it wasn't really a great move for us. But yeah, this is something that is kind of uh, forgotten to history. People don't really remember that little moment very much. Although I know a lot of you do. I, I picture all of Team Buck sitting around, essentially, uh, like me, with stacks of old books in either their living room, their den, bedroom, wherever it is you keep your books, uh, particularly history books. Erica writes, I'm counting on my kids, 18 and 20, and their whole generation to save us from Michelle Obama. They will never forgive her for destroying their school lunches. You know, Erica, I remember that was a that was kind of a controversy for a little while, the whole destroying the school lunches thing. And I don't remember exactly what it was. I, I remember the Michelle Obama was essentially pushing this. And the media, of course, because it involved Michelle Obama, didn't want to say anything but wonderful things about the school lunch program. I mean, obviously, it had to be fantastic because it had to do with Michelle Obama. And I did see the photos of kids that were supposed to eat like a piece of boiled chicken and some kale for lunch. And I thought back to my days as a kid, man, my mom, I had the best mom. And she understood that growing boys needed real food. Man, I used to eat bagels and Cheetos and hamburgers and Nestle Quick. I mean, I'm gonna tell you, some of some of my my guilty pleasures as a kid. I used to drink Nestle Quick and and wash it down with a blondie, or I guess wash my blondie down with Nestle Quick, which is probably about 130 grams of sugar and about you know 800 calories or so. But it was delicious. Delicious, I tell you. So, yes, indeed. Uh, thanks for writing in, Erica. Thomas writes, I like your Buck Wild segments. Common sense and to the point. This latest growing controversy over the temporary appointment of Whitaker to replace Sessions AG can be ended by President Trump declassifying all the documents relating to the Mueller investigation and FISA warrants that created it. That is what the progressives are so desperate to protect. Once those are declassified, Whitaker will simply be a placeholder until the next Congress convenes and a regular process of appointment can be done for Sessions' full-time replacement. Hopefully, President Trump's legal staff will encourage him to take those actions and avoid another lame legal battle that will go nowhere. Keep up the good work. Shields high. Thomas, uh, great to hear from you. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on this one. As to where I think this whole thing is going with Mueller and the investigation and Trump and the declassification... I still believe that Trump will end up declassifying a lot of it. Uh, I think that he's holding it back now, as I've said, because one, he doesn't want to anger any allies that may have shared information with us. But also, 
he realizes it's tremendous leverage because no matter what the Mueller report really says, I can assure you right now that the media will claim that the Mueller report vindicates their insane reporting on Russia for the last two years. No, no matter what it says, they will claim that this is exactly what they were looking for. And and maybe there's not yet criminal charges being filed against Trump and he's not going to be removed by the Senate. But there will be when they get the real information. That's going to be what they say. So there you have it. Um, Tom writes, I was part of Smokey Bears of Fink movement in the 70s and would love to see the article you referenced on Monday's show with pictures of the California forest from decades ago and now. If not, I'll keep searching. Shields high. Tom, it was a Forbes article that I was reading from. I do not remember the exact title of it, but it was a Forbes article, so that might help you uh, a little bit, I hope. Doug. Dougie Fresh. Doug writes, Buck, I caught Friday's show on delay. I've been off the dating app for a bit, but I can prefer, uh, confirm the top three statements that follow the phrase swipe left if are you are a smoker, you are shorter than me, the girl says that, you are a Republican Trump supporter. Guess if you want a nice conservative girl, you'll have better luck looking in church than on Tinder. Just saying, Lieutenant Doug. Lieutenant Doug, I think you're probably right. Uh, there's such a, a an acceptance culturally and dating and just in day-to-day life of an animus toward people who are Trump supporters. You know what another name for a Trump supporter is most of the time? A Republican. And you know what percentage of the country is Republican? About half. So people who will cut out 160 million or so of their fellow Americans, well, I mean, not, you know, I guess kids aren't necessarily part of the equation there, but you know what I'm saying. People that will cut out a huge swath of the country because they disagree with their politics. It's really sad. It's uh, it's a sad state of affairs. And it's something we're going to see more and more of because uh, I, I believe the left is radicalized and I don't think that they are able to see past these issues of, of political identity because it really is an identity for them. Being a liberal isn't about I want slightly higher taxes. Being a liberal is, I'm not a racist, the other people are. I'm for women's choice, the other people aren't. I'm for transgender rights, the other people aren't. I mean, it's it's very much a statement of who you are as a person to be a liberal. Meanwhile, as a conservative, I mean, I sit around and I say, can I be wrong on that issue? Do I need to change my position on any on any issue that involves government action or inaction? I mean, I do this with foreign policy all the time. I think that to be a conservative who has been focused on foreign policy for the last 18 years or so is to be somebody who has been humbled numerous times. I don't care who you are. You've been humbled by either being wrong or missing a major trend or just recognizing that your previous positions uh, weren't what you weren't as sound as you thought they were. So yeah, David writes in with, Hey Buck, the fires in California are terrible, but it, isn't like this is a recent phenomenon. The Eagles made it pretty clear 40 years ago that it never rains in Southern California. If you don't like fires, Santa Ana winds, earthquakes, etc., move. Um, I don't know that song, David, but I'm going to tell you something that's probably going to get some of you mad at me. But I, I cannot hide things from you, team. We, we are friends. We are family here. I, I cannot hide from you that I do not particularly like the Eagles. I know, I know. Between that and the fact that I find baseball on TV, at least, boring, 
There's a lot of things about me that need some adjustment. I get it. I get it. I will, however, say to distract you from what I've just said, that I've learned a new technique for cooking uh, filet mignon in the pan, uh, which if you're going to do it, you want to do it right because those little suckers are expensive. And you want to roll the outside of the filet around the pan after you've seared the top and the bottom and make sure that you have a bit of butter and you baste the butter slash whatever herbs you're using out of the edge when you tilt the pan on that filet. I did it recently. It was amazing. See? You don't even remember that I told you that I don't like the Eagles, and so that, now we can all still be friends. Braden writes, Buck, two things. First, movie quote. All right, here we go. Listen and understand. That fill-in-the-blank is still out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop until you are dead. That is Kyle Reese in Terminator 1 talking about the Terminator. Braden writes second. It's not fair for you to lump, uh, lump Jake Tapper with Don Lemon, Anderson Cooper, and the other clowns at Communist News Network. Tapper might be center left. However, he does try to be objective. Shields high, Braden. Braden, uh, I appreciate you writing in. I, I disagree with you on, on Tapper. I think that for purposes of his own brand, he's created, uh, he tries to create a perception of being fair, uh, but that goes away as soon as it's a really important issue to the left. Uh, I promise you, he, he, if you were to look back over the last year, yeah, sure, he'll call out Keith Ellison, but, you know, you're allowed to call out Keith Ellison and still be in good standing with the left. Uh, look at some of the ways that the Tapper Show has handled issues like the... Uh, Kavanaugh hearings. Uh, look, look at the way that uh, Tapper has handled violence from the left versus violence from the right. Uh, there's there's clearly a bias in in what he does. Uh, so I I don't think that he's is he less to to your point and to be fair, Braden, is he less overtly partisan than say Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo? Absolutely, but is he still clearly doing opinion journalism under the guise of objective neutral journalism? Yes. But you, you do make a point, and uh, it's, it's uh, I think, partially, I would agree with it partially, or in part. Uh, but thank you again for writing in, and thank you for the movie quote. Gene, that's going to be it for today in the hut. It has been an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure, as always. I will be out uh, on Thursday. My friend Raheem Kassam will be taking the con. But uh, we will be hanging out together tomorrow, so I will see you then. Shields high. It's so easy to think that you're fine online and only find out at the wrong moment when something's gone really bad that you weren't protecting your online security. There is all kind of monitoring that goes on right now. They'll sell your information, by the way. A lot of these sites you use to third parties. And then when you add hackers into the mix, you got to be concerned about what you're doing online. But if you want to make sure that you are good to go, even when using public Wi-Fi, ExpressVPN is for you. ExpressVPN protects you when you use public Wi-Fi, keeps hackers and spies from seeing your data and downloading and attacking your stuff. ExpressVPN is your solution to make sure that you don't have to worry about your online privacy. Protect yourself today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck for three months free with a one-year package Visit expressvpn.com slash buck.